as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today business As I mentioned before, I have been making my move to Montreal. So for the last two weeks, I have been holed up in a Penske traveling cross country and then moving into our new home in Montreal right in time for all of the snow. So I hope you understand, but we are back on track now. We should get back to our regular schedule. So here, I hope you enjoy the third episode of our growth series here, where we're going to be looking at 
two different stories of growth today, one from Casey Winters from his time at Grubhub as he was the first marketing hire. So we're going to look at what he did in those early days to create the massive growth that Grubhub saw. And then we're going to take a look at Buffer from a talk we had with Joel Gascon about growing too fast and some of the implications of that that they've recently faced. So we're going to get right into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Mike Belsito. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So when we think about growth, we wanted to look at what it looks like inside of some companies, especially massive growth companies. What did they do from the beginning? What did it look like when they started their growth efforts? And what did they become? And so we're going to look at two stories today, one from Casey Winters from his time at Grubhub and the other from Joel Gascon from Buffer. And these are two very different stories. Uh, Casey grew Grubhub, as we'll hear, and Joel grew Buffer, but they hit a point where they had to scale back. And so we'll hear about some of the downside of growth or some of the implications of growth. Now, with Casey, he joined Grubhub in 2011 as the 15th hire. Yeah, well, the mandate was definitely to drive growth of the business. I believe my only job description was that we needed to double our revenue by next month. And that is no small feat, no matter the company's eyes. And we'll get into how he did that in just a second. But first, it's important to understand what the company looked like at that time. Well, Grubhub was in three cities when I joined. So it had started in Chicago and it had expanded into San Francisco and Boston. And Chicago and SF were, were doing well. They were growing. But the company was only doing like one order a day in Boston. The launch had not really gone well. It was around... 30,000 users when I joined, um, you know, who had ever created an account at Grubhub. And they and they had just raised a 1 million Series A six months, six months earlier. So they had some money to start thinking about, could they do more things to proactively grow the business? And, and that's kind of when I came in. There was, uh, you know, just a couple engineers, a couple salespeople, a designer, uh, some customer service people, and that was basically it. So Casey dives right in. So I first tried to figure out what things would really help the company grow faster that I knew how to do, and then how I could design tests to prove or disprove that they were worth our time. So I built a plan, you know, presented it to the board, and then just got to work on seeing what of it was going to work. A big part of it, though, was really understanding the data of the business. So you know, you first have to work on building a report that gives you a full view of what's going on today and what really needs work. At Grubhub, a lot of that data was hidden in our database. So actually the first thing I did was learn SQL so that I could start pulling that data myself to really understand what was happening. Encoding we see is a skill that more and more marketers are starting to possess. It's becoming a almost a basic requirement of growth since you're working with so much data. You don't want to have to be reliant on a development team to have to query and present all the data for you. If you can write your own SQL queries, you can dig into the data yourself and answer your own questions. So Casey now has the data that he needs and it's time to start focusing in on some key data points. Definitely was not a you know one metric to rule them all sort of person. We paid a lot of attention to various different metrics. So 
some of the ones that were in my key dashboard uh, was news or growth by by month and by source. So, you know, were they coming from organic search or from transit ads or whatever? Uh, cost per acquisition was really important for us. We didn't have a lot of money in the bank. We raised, you know, what's now considered a very small Series A in one million. Uh, and our goal was to make that money back in six months. So really being able to look at, okay, how much were you spending for each user by channel and then how much did the users from that channel make you over the first six months to make sure that that equation was profitable for us. Uh, in terms of retention, uh, we really paid a lot of attention to the one month repeat purchase rate. So if someone placed a second order within 30 days of their first, that was a pretty good indicator that they were going to adopt Grubhub as a habit. But we did look at you know general repeat order volume through our cohorts. We looked at net promoter score and we would segment all of that data by city to really have an understanding you know, for each market how we were doing. And there's certainly a lot there from various acquisition channels to MPS promoter scores. And we wanted to figure out how Casey prioritized the experiments that he was doing and how he decided what to keep and what to throw away. Yeah, so the way I structured everything was that I'd have one month to try something out. And then during that month, I'd compare the returns on it to all the other things that we were doing, right? So you, you put out some tests on paid search, you put out some tests on email, you put out some tests on, you know, trying to get Yelp to add an online ordering link, you know, uh, to Grubhub on, on their page. And, you know, after that month, you just take a step back and you look at where the returns were, you know, in, in some cases you can directly compare like, you know, the CPA or the ROI but in some cases, you can just look at the traction you've had. It was very clear from doing that sort of work that affiliate marketing was just driving a very low conversion rate because of the geographic coverage issue. This was something that worked incredibly effectively for me at HomeFinder, which had national scale, but just wasn't gonna work for Grubhub in, until we covered more of the country. And, and we had a similar issue on, on the biz dev side, trying to go after those bigger partnerships. It's just hard for, you know, Yelp or City Search to care about you when you only cover, you know, a couple of the thousand different markets that they care about. It's just never going to be high enough ROI for them. So, you know, once you get rejected, you know, 12, 15 times on the biz dev side, you're like, okay, I think I'm hearing a theme here. Uh, maybe I should put down the phone and, and start working on something else. And what I found really interesting about that was it's not that it's not a good idea. It's just it's not a good idea for right now. There are certain factors that make different partnerships and business deals work at the right time. And it's always important to keep that in mind. It would be great, obviously, if Yelp would add a link to you on their homepage. But there has to be a mutual benefit. And we always need to keep that in mind when we're making business deals. So we're going to flip the, the tables here and look at what happens when companies grow too fast with an interview with Joel Gascon coming up after the break. Now, back to the show. Buffer, the social media management tool that many of us know and love, launched in 2010. And since then, they've grown just a little bit. We have, uh, we have about 65,000 paying customers right now. And so has the team. 
80 people right now spread across about 55 different cities in the world on five different continents. That's Joel Gascon, their founder and CEO. Now, while Buffer has experienced huge growth, it hasn't come without its consequences. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a, a tough uh, year in that regard. That was um, several months ago now, and I think we're st- still certainly recovering from that in terms of uh, team morale and, and things. Uh, He's referring to some of the layoffs that they've had to make recently in order to downsize the team and get back on track revenue-wise. Joel published a full article breaking down the how and the why that they did this and how they came to that conclusion as part of their radical transparency beliefs, where they share everything internally and externally as much as they can. Here's Joel again. Um, So we're really just trying to stay... Uh, fully on top of things and just remind ourselves that you know we're still uh, you know not completely past some of those challenges um but yeah it was uh, something where it you know we we started to gradually realize and it, and it dawned on us that we what happened was that we grew the team uh too quickly and the growth didn't uh, you know necessarily pick up in quite the way that we thought it, it would by having the extra uh, team members and um, so we've had a solid growth rate but it didn't kind of pick up and and so so what happened is they ended up laying off 11 percent of their staff or about 10 people and layoffs are never easy they're not easy for the employees being laid off they're not easy for the management to do and they're definitely not easy on the team's morale as people aren't certain if their job is next yeah, um, I'd say, if I'm fully honest, I think the team is, has struggled with it and is still struggling. So we, we're really trying to be on top of that. We we measure um, MPS and we talk with uh, you know all the team members a lot. Um, but MPS has been interesting for us. We do like team NPS every two months. And we saw that drop, obviously, after the, the layoffs and in the few months after that. And then it's, 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 it's raising a little bit now, which is good, um, but it's still lower than you know, it has been before that point. Um, but the other things have been really like just increasing the communication a lot. Um, so uh, we've leaned into doing more regular all-hands meetings with the whole team. Um, me and Leo have done a couple of Q&A sessions where we just um, get on a a video call and anyone can just ask us anything um, and we've also done a uh, we've done a, like a AMA type like Q&A in a in a document as well but anyone can just add a question and we're answering it um, and then that and really just working with um, all the, the leaders in the team who who manage other people and uh, make sure that we're learning from from them what how everyone's feeling and making adjustments that way as, as well so but I think you know, especially the Q&A, people can really just ask, you know, things. And some people, I think, are feeling, uh, you know, a lot more insecure in the jobs than, than before, understandably. So those are things that we have to really uh, spend time to work on and, and make people feel uh, better better about. So I think communication is, is the key for that. And we talked to Joel about whether he felt like this situation could have been avoided. It could have been avoided completely, which is one of the, the, the toughest and like most disappointing things in my, myself in, in throughout all of this. Because um, the crazy thing is that, you know, a lot of time layoffs happen when there's, you know, a big market change and it's hard. What, what can you do about that and things? But in this case, 
Um, you know, for us, revenue has been steadily growing, but we, it's not. There's not really been any change there. Um, so it's more just our own kind of naivety and, and mistake there of hiring too fast and and not forecasting well enough. Um, so yeah, um, definitely. I I would say it definitely could have been avoided if we'd had better forecasting, and I think that's something that I've since advised others to do a lot earlier than than we did. And when we think about growth, we often think about techniques that cause growth. But as a company grows, oftentimes growth can be associated with hires. We hire a VP of marketing or we hire a larger marketing team. And the idea is that more people working together will create more growth, more ideas, and also more initiatives that we can tackle at the same time. But things don't always work out. Buffer didn't stop growing. Buffer didn't hit a rough patch. They continued to grow at the same rate that they had. They simply hired too many people thinking that those hires would create more growth. And unfortunately, it didn't. So we've looked at two stories of high growth companies, some of the benefits and some of the implications of growing and growing fast. And I think it's important to look at both sides and know what we're getting into. Uh, If our company starts to grow really, really fast and we start to hire more and more people, sometimes that's not always the answer to continue that growth. Sometimes it is. And hiring has little effect. And and hiring does stimulate the growth rate. It all depends on your company. So we wanted to share these stories with you so you can get a wide and honest view of different circumstances that can happen. Now we know Buffer is going to be okay. They're back on track and moving towards that growth curve that they have projected. So if you'd like to hear the full interview with Joel, where he goes into more about their culture and some of the things that they're currently doing internally at Buffer, we'll have that on Sunday. So don't forget to subscribe. Big thanks to Joel and Casey for coming on today and sharing all of this with us. I'm sure you have now learned a lot as I have. And of course, for Prezi. Prezi is the better way to make your presentations, whether you're doing investor presentations or sales presentations. Prezi lets you go with the flow of the conversation. So make a beautiful slide presentation for your next presentation at Prezi.com forward slash rocket ship. That's P-R-E-Z-I dot com forward slash rocket ship. If you're enjoying this growth series, please subscribe and leave us a review. You know, five stars will be fine, but uh, it helps us to reach more people. So if you want to listen to old interviews and check out the full series, you can go to rocketship.fm or you can find them anywhere where you can subscribe to a podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at RocketshipFM. You can follow me at Michael Saka, Joel at Joel Goldman, and Mike Belsito at Belsito. All right, we'll see you here in just a couple days.